Exodus chapter 2 tonight. Exodus chapter 2. I will say, uh, if you are fanning yourself, that's quite all right. But if you have a Fitbit, I would suggest that you put it on the arm that you're using to fan. You'll get some extra steps that way, amen? 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, 4. One day, I got to tell this story. One day we were at the house. Me and my dad were sitting there, and I look over at my mom, and she's just doing this. Me and my dad said, what's wrong with your arm? She says, nothing, I'm just walking. (laughs) And it turns out, now I will say this, I I tell these stories, I'd hate to be a woman in a Wolfenbarger house, just to be honest with you, but (laughs) the women are like, hey, man, I'd hate that too, but. She had walked all day long, but she had forgotten to turn it on. So she was making up for what she had already done earlier in the day. So I'm sure there's a sermon illustration in there somewhere, and we will do it. We'll use that one day, I'm sure. Exodus chapter number 2, verse number 1. I'm excited to preach to you tonight. I hope that I do not belabor this sermon. I hope that you feel as if it's concise, directly to the point, and that it's not stretched out and just over dated with pointless things. I want to get straight to the point tonight, and I want it to be beneficial to you, and that's been my prayer so far in my study, and that will also be my prayer here in just a little while. Exodus chapter number 2, verse number 1. The Bible says, And there went a man of the house of Levi, and took to wife a daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and bare a son, and when she saw him that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. When she could not longer hide him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes and daubed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein, and she laid it in the flags by the river's brink. And his sister stood afar off to wit what would be done to him. And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river, and her maidens walked along by the riverside. And when she saw... The ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. And when she had opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the babe wept. And she had compassion on it, and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then said his sister to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call to thee a nurse of the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for thee? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. And the maid went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Take this child away and nurse it for me, and I will give thee thy wages. And the woman took the child and nursed it. And the child grew, and she brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter. And he became her son, and she called his name Moses. And she said, Because I drew him out of the water. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you tonight for our opportunity that we have as a called-out assembly to study your word, to apply your word, and Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to preach your word. Lord, it's the highest calling in the world, and I am so thankful for that calling on my life. Now, Lord, I pray tonight that you would strengthen me, give me clear direction as to where this message should go, and Lord, I pray that I'd be sensitive to your Holy Spirit. Lord, that's really only half the battle, for I can only do so much, and your Holy Spirit can only do so much. The people in this room have to hear the sermon and respond to it accordingly. Lord, if the word of God is being preached tonight and people hear the word of God, I pray that they will accept it as what it is, truly the word of God. I pray tonight that it would be a blessing to some, encouragement to others. 
I pray to some it may be a little bit convicting. I pray all this knowing that you're able to do it all. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, in my short Christian life, I've learned one thing. My problems, my issues, my concerns, the matters of my life are always better when they're in God's hands. Always. Now, generally, it's difficult to get them out of my own, is it not? It's hard to let it go, to to allow myself to trust God enough that His plans are better than my plans, and His thoughts are better than my thoughts, and they're much better and higher than my thoughts. So it's hard to get it out of my hands, but I have learned it is always better when it's out of my hands and in God's hands. It was not long ago I broke my iPhone screen, and it had splintered, and many of you in here probably have been familiar with the feeling that you have when you pick your iPhone up off the pavement and you look at it and you realize that it now has the app that I call Cracks downloaded itself just right across your screen, just cracks, it's hard, and then you go to open your uh, phone and it slices your finger open and, and you're bleeding and you get a very important phone call and you and your fingers hurt so bad so you just use your tongue and then your tongue's bleeding and I know many of you have been there, and that's where I found myself, the screen had cracked. Now, right down the road from where I lived at the time, there was an iPhone repair shop. Now, I went in there and I said, now, how much will y'all fix my iPhone for? And they said, write a $100 bill, in 20 minutes we'll have your iPhone fixed. Now, $100 isn't bad, I didn't think, but I thought that I would try getting it a little cheaper. So I researched many different avenues by which I could get this iPhone fixed, and I found that on eBay, you can buy an LCD screen for your phone. And you can install it yourself. Now, I know nothing about iPhone repair. I I know very little about iPhones at all, but I, I know that I'm not technical enough to do that, except on YouTube... There is a video that walks you through the steps of repairing and replacing your iPhone screen. So, I realized that YouTube's free and the screen cost about $40. I was going to blow their socks off and I was going to fix my own iPhone screen. So, that's the route I decided to go. I ordered the, the screen off eBay. I got it in the mail about four days later. In the kit, had the LCD screen, had the screwdriver uh, uh, all the tools that you need to fix your screen. And so I sat down one night at about 12 o'clock in the night. Now, that's because I, that's my best time of the day. I'm barely groggy, and I'm only a little drunk at that time. So that's the time I chose to, uh, that's a joke, by the way, just so you know. <laughs> For clarification's sake, we'll say that. And so I sat down, and I got my iPad up, because my iPad's not broken, my iPhone was broken. I got it up, pulled up the video, and I started it. And it said, step one, loosen the screens, uh, loosen the screws on the phone. So I followed step one. And I was to about step 3,732 when I realized I was in well over my head. The only problem at this point is, of course, I've got iPhone parts laid everywhere. And it was not until the moment where, you know, those little bitty screws in that phone are tiny. 
And you may not know this, but I do know the anatomy of your iPhone. Yes, I do now. There, at least in the iPhone 4s, which is what I had at the time, there are six just extremely small bolts, if you will, on the inside of the, the antenna bar. Now, I'm getting way over many of your heads, but you can watch the YouTube video if you would like. And so I decide that I, I'm taking them out, and I got five out, and the little screwdriver is magnetic. So as you remove the screws, the, the screwdriver holds on to them for the most part. And I was actually doing good up until about step 27. I was, I was right on, uh, on, on pace with them. And then I dropped one of the screws inside of the phone. And your fingers are just too big to pick them things up. And, and it was down below some of the data boards and all the wiring. And I just said a prayer, and, and I was hoping for the Lord's intervention. And I decided, now this was not on the iPhone video instruction, but I decided the best route would be for me to take the phone and flip it over and dump it out. Oh, you act like you have a better plan. It was at this moment where the, the, the screw did fall out, so my plan worked. Unfortunately, there is what I like to call the mystery piece. It's never described in the video, never explained where, it's, where it goes, what it does. And I tell you, it looks nothing like anything you've ever seen before. And it's probably the governmental chip to listen to every phone conversation you have, actually. And I dumped that phone over, and I had two pieces coming out of the phone. And I said, well, it doesn't look important. And so I continued with the process, hoping that somewhere along the way I would recognize the piece on the video. And I, I installed the screen just fine. However, when I was done, I still had the mystery piece left out of the phone. And I thought to myself, what are the chances it really is not that important? I take my phone and I hit the on-off button or the lock screen button and nothing happened. And it was at that moment I realized I should not have done that. Not only had I wasted $40 in about three hours of my time, I would have been much better taking my phone to someone who knew how to fix it and just paid the money to have them fix it, and then not be so cheap, and then not have my wife make fun of me for years, and, and, and just have a phone that still worked. So my plan was, I took my phone, and I threw it against the pavement as hard as I possibly could, and I took it to Apple and paid $50 for them to replace it. <laughs> Amen. Amen. There's probably some guy taking that phone apart, going to reuse them parts. Of it. Where's the mystery piece? The mystery piece is missing. It hit the ground so hard it just disintegrated. I, I don't know. But uh, I realized that day that that phone was much better when it was not in my hands and in someone's hands who knew what they were doing. Did you know that your issues and the concerns of your life are much better taken care of when they're not in your hands, when they're out of, and they're in God's? Now, here's the problem. What I've realized is I was a fool for thinking I could do it, but really, that's our issue. 
We're foolish when we think in our own power we can handle problems. We're foolish. We deceive ourselves. Friend, when God asks to be a part of your life, let's take Him up on the invitation and go to Him with our problems and go to Him with our concerns and go, with, go to Him with the matters of our life that mean the most to us. Tonight I just want to show you three truths out of this passage, how it is always better in God's hands. First of all, our matters sometimes may be very precious to us. Look in verse number 1. The Bible says, And there went a man out of the house of Levi, and took a wife, a do, uh, took wife to wife a daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and bare a son. And when she saw him that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. I want you to notice, first of all, the progression was done right. You say, what do you, what do you, what do you mean by that, Brother Andrew? Well, if you look in verse 1, you find out that a man loved a woman, and they were married, and then they had a child. It is an honorable thing when we do things honorably. If our Lord came to this earth and lived righteously, and He represents everything that is good and everything that is holy, and He is our righteous King and our righteous Savior, if He is righteous, so ought we, His children, to be righteous. And we ought to endeavor to do things appropriately and in order. Now, I wonder sometimes if the reason that our society has so devalued the order of marriage and uh, uh, relationships, I wonder if the reason they have not devalued them is because we never placed an importance on them. Look, what I'm saying is we are quick to throw stones, but how quick are we to throw encouragement? You see, it is a great thing for a child to hear that they did it right. And Dad, I, I, I tell you, there's nothing that you can tell your son better to his ears than, Son, I'm proud of you. Son, you did a good job. And I believe that it's easy to read over things like this in the Bible. Look, uh, Moses' mother no doubt dreamed of having a family one day. No doubt she dreamed of having a husband who loved her very much. No doubt she dreamed of having a child who she could be a mother to. But she did not get ahead of herself and she allowed the things to come to her in due time. I wonder if we just have so devalued praising people who do it right and we're quicker to throw criticism than we are blessing. Uh, parents, you ought to pray that your children do marriage in order. You say, what do you mean, Brother Andrew? I mean there is a certain order and a certain method that God has dictated marriage ought to be. It's between one man and one woman. And it ought to come marriage and then relations. And I just believe that we should praise people who do it right. And when somebody walks this aisle and can wear a white wedding dress, not because it's vogue and not because it's what everybody else is doing, but because that white wedding dress stands for something, we ought to praise them for saying, culture did not dictate to me how I should live, and society did not tell me what was appropriate and what was right. It may be unpopular to be a virgin when you're married now, but it is a very blessed thing in the eyes of our Lord. She did it right. She did it right and in order. 
Friend, you do things all the time, and you, you struggle and you labor for the things that you have. And when you do them with integrity, you can have honor at the end of it. The Bible even says, Proverbs verse, uh, chapter 11, verse 13, Wealth gotten by vanity shall be diminished, but he that gathereth by labor shall increase. In other words, if you're crooked while you get your riches, they'll quickly go away. But the man who works for his wealth and the man who works for his blessing can look back on those blessings and remember the work that allowed him to achieve the blessing. And it's an, a blessed thing when we do things honorably. The progression was done right. I want you to notice, secondly, the product was deemed good. In verse number two, she holds her child, and after she has conceived and bare a son, the Bible says, and when she saw him, that he was a goodly child. She looked at her child and saw the labor that she had put into him and the, the travail that she had put into him and looked at her child and saw that he was healthy and saw that he was a blessing from God and she, just, she was just overwhelmed and she said, he's a goodly child. I remember when my wife and I were uh, having our daughter, Caitlin. It was, I didn't do a whole lot in the process, to be honest with you, but Amy sure worked hard. And uh, I, we were in that uh, delivery room, and I was kind of standing over and, well, passed out in the corner. Uh, and I was just amazed at everything that was going on. My, my, I couldn't speak, couldn't form sentences. The doctor said, how about you start taking pictures, Dad? And I'm like, how about you stop telling me what to do? You're going to get your money no matter what, what I do, so you just do your job. And, and it was just an amazing uh, thing. And as soon as my daughter was given to my wife, I remember the very first thing she did. She grabbed her hands and grabbed her feet and began to count the toes and the fingers. And I'm like, is so is that what the drugs do? They, they make you want to count? And she was telling me that she, the whole time during the pregnancy, she had just been concerned that Caitlin would be born with some abnormality. She was concerned that she wouldn't come out completely healthy. And so her very first thing was counting to make sure she had five fingers and five toes and, 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 and well, ten. Okay, this isn't Sesame Street. Give me a break. And she was concerned about the health of her child. And I remember seeing my daughter mentally and physically well brought joy to my heart. Because I think in every parent's mind, there is a concern that their child won't be healthy. In every parent's mind, there's a concern that everything might not go right with the delivery. And so I can only imagine the emotions that this lady is feeling, Moses' mother, as she finally conceives her child. She's happy that he's healthy. She's happy that he's mentally well. And she looks at him, and she's so proud, and she says, boy, he's good. Man, you probably do a lot of work all the time. And, and, and men, I'm very much speaking to you. You say, well, I've never had a child. I understand that, but you work hard at your job. You work hard to provide for your family. You work hard to be the man that you ought to be. Mothers, you work hard to pray for your children. You work hard to, to and I, I'm not trying to uh, uh, just uh, identify with the men or the women here. I'm just saying each and every one of us work hard to get daily victories. And when you work hard, you know what you ought to be? You ought to be proud of yourself. You ought to look back and look at the labor and say, 
That's good. Dad, don't be away from your family 50 hours a week and come home grumpy because you had to work that much. You come home and you look at your home and you look at your, uh, your cars and you look at the, the schooling that your children are getting and you say, this is what my labor provides. And you can look at it and say, boy, that is good. See, the matters of our life are precious to each and every one of us. Now, they, they vary from each and every one of us, but they are nonetheless precious to you. But not only are the matters of our life precious, I want you to notice, secondly, sometimes the matters of our life are in peril. Sometimes they find themselves in peril. Look in verse, uh, chapter number 1. I want to show you a perilous decree that is given. Verse 15 of chapter number 1, you kind of have to understand the context of the passage for this story to really even make sense. But in verse number 15, the Bible says in chapter number 1, And the king of Egypt spake to the Hebrew midwives, of which the name of the one was Shipra, and the name of the other Pua. Now, how many of you are thankful that's not your name tonight? Amen. That's our next daughter's name. If she's not a son, it's Pua. Verse 16, and he said, when ye do the office of the midwife to the Hebrew women and see them upon the the stools, if it be a son, then ye shall kill him. But if it be a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the men children alive. And the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said unto them, why have ye done this thing and have saved the men children alive? And the midwives said unto Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not as the Egyptian women, for they are lively. I feel that way about Amy sometimes. She's lively. And are delivered ere the midwives come in unto them. Therefore God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and waxed very mighty. Now understand what's going on is Pharaoh looks at Israel and he says, The people are greater than us. They're living in our borders, and yet God's blessing the Jews, and they're getting stronger than us. And so what he decides to do is kill all the Hebrew men children. He's already got them building buildings. They are their slaves, but now he's still worried about the way they're populating. And so he says, kill every man-child. He goes to the Hebrew midwives, and he says, when they're born, if it's a man-child, kill him. If it's a, a, a daughter, she can live. The midwives cannot do what Pharaoh's asked them to, and so God takes care of them and protects them. Now, look in verse 21. Pharaoh's reaction to this is, And it came to pass, because the midwives feared God, that he had made them houses. And Pharaoh charged all his people. Now, before it was the Hebrew midwives who were to take care of the, the, the Jewish men children. But now it's charged his people. Now it's... It's one of those things where Pharaoh says, if you can't get somebody else to do it, you just take care of it yourself. And Pharaoh charges his own people. I would assume it's probably uh, Egyptian men, soldiers, because they're his people, saying, every son that is born ye shall cast into the river, and every daughter ye shall save alive. Now this is the conditions that Moses is born into. He's born into a death warrant. And it's just amazing to me, how many of you ever feel like at the very time you get blessings, it's the exact wrong time? That was the case in Moses' mother's life. She finally had the child that she wanted, and it's at the exact 
wrong time for they're supposed to kill him. Sometimes our, uh, we can have things happen at the wrong moment and our blessings seem to come at the exact wrong time. But I want you to not only notice a perilous decree, but a, a perilous duration. Look in verse number 2 of chapter number 2. The Bible says, And the woman conceived and bare a son. When she saw him that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. She hid him three months. So now that the decree is passed, at first it was the Hebrew midwives that were to kill the children. Now Pharaoh has charged his own people, Egyptians, to take the children once they're born, if they're a man, and cast them into the river to kill them. And, and this is just all going wrong. And this is a matter that she's quite concerned with. And for just a little while, in verse number 2, the Bible tells us for three months she hid him. No doubt she was nursing him and no doubt she was taking care of him. But every time she heard someone walk by her door, she was afraid they were going to come in and find her child. Every time she heard the armor clamor uh, of an Egyptian soldier, she was afraid they were coming for her baby boy. So she would go stash him into the laundry basket. Every time, could you imagine playing that game of, of not knowing when they're going to take your child and not knowing when the, the, the next bad thing is going to happen? And she takes her child for three months and she hides him the very best that she can. Look at the very next verse in verse number three. And when she could not longer hide him. Oftentimes, I think we're exactly like Pharaoh, uh, Moses' mother. We do our very best to keep up in the rat race. We do our very best to handle our own issues. We do our very best to hide them. We do our very best to keep up with them. But it's a losing battle. And the difference between us and Moses' mother is she finally came to the point where she said, I can't do it any longer. Do you know there's other people in the scriptures that have difficulty admitting that they weren't able to do it? I'm reminded of the prodigal son. The Bible says that he finds himself in a far country and he's feeding swine. He joins himself together with a citizen of another country and and the Bible says, and he would have feigned to fill his belly with the husks of the swine. In other words, he would have eaten with them because he was so hungry. And then the next verse says, and when he came to himself, he said unto himself, how many of my, hi my father's hired servants have bread and, and enough to eat? And he, conditions had to get so bad in his life that he looked at himself and says, what am I thinking? And that's when he goes to the Father. Jonah is commanded to go to Nineveh, and Jonah decides to go to Tarshish instead. At the end of verse, uh, chapter number 1, the Bible says that he's swallowed by the, uh, by the well, and he's in the belly of the well for three days and three nights. The very next verse says this, And then Jonah prayed unto the Lord. Now, why didn't Jonah pray to the Lord on day one? Because in verse number two, Jonah begins to describe how terrible the belly of the well was. He says, I found myself in, in the belly of hell. That was the well's name, actually, was hell, I guess. Because I found myself in the belly of hell. I, I cried for reason of my affliction, Jonah says. 
The reason he cried out to God was because it got too much for him to handle. And despite his resolute desire to just to take care of it on his own, and, and just despite his unwillingness to admit his inability, at the end of the day, Jonah and the prodigal son had a point in their life where they said, I just cannot do it anymore. And they go to the Father. The matters of your life are so precious to you. But sometimes it feels like everything's going wrong. And sometimes you find yourself without answers. And what we do is we try hiding them. What we do is we try taking care of them on our own. We try our very best to be our very best. And at best, we're weak. And it's at that moment when you ought to find yourself looking up to God and say, Lord, I just can't do it anymore. You ought to pray like it all depends on God, but you ought to work like it all depends on you. And I just believe that there ought to come a time in many of our lives, and I would even say now there are some of us dealing with matters that are far too big for us, like our teenager doesn't respect us like they ought to respect a parent. We find ourselves being more buddy-buddy to them than we are an authority figure to them. And it hurts you just as much as it hurts your child because you don't want to be a buddy-buddy. You want to be their authority figure. And I would say that it's at this time, and as a preacher stands to preach and says, look at yourself, find yourself in in the hog pen, find yourself in the belly of the whale, and just come to yourself and go to the Father. The matters of your life are very precious to you, but sometimes you'll find yourself in very much peril. When I was younger, I had a birthday party thrown for me at my family's house. We have a pool back there, and we decided to have a pool party. And so all, we, we only invited uh, the boys uh, around my age, and we just were having a good old time. And I remember, I think I had gotten a bike, a bicycle, given to me as a, 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 a present. And man, I was excited about this bicycle. It was shiny, and it had training wheels on it so I could ride it without anybody's help. And Man, I was just excited. So all my friends, they didn't have pools, so they were just in the pool. And that's fine. I had a pool. I, I really didn't swim in it that much. I don't like swimming too much, so I just let them have that. But I was on my bicycle, and I was riding that thing like Mario Andretti around that pool. I was going as fast as I could. Now, if any of you have ever been around pools, you know that pools generally are not a very mm, uh, symmetrical shape. Most of them have bins in them, and most of them have little nooks that are sometimes seats or, or other things. They're very difficult to ride around a bicycle in. So I was going around as fast as I could, and I got to the deep end, And there's a little notch cut out of our pool, and it has a seat where you can sit in the deep end and just kind of be underwater. And I I guess I just had gotten sidetracked, or I was just going too fast for what I could handle. And before I knew it, my front tire was going in the pool. And, And it all really happened so fast, so to really describe it to you, I can't, but I do remember the mental image of me swinging on the step with my arms on one side and my legs on the other, sprawled out like a hammock would be hung between two trees, saying, Help! Help! 
<laughs> because I was in, I, I didn't have the strength to pull myself up. My bicycle's down at the bottom of the pool. And, and I, I was, help! You ever been there? No, I don't mean strung out like a hammock in your pool. I mean, have you ever been to the point where no matter how hard you try, you're just stuck? Yeah. You know, I was just uh, uh, probably about five years old, but at least I had the sense to cry out to somebody, Help! Mom! Dad! Help! You know, one of the smartest things a, a, a Christian can do is cry out for help. You read some of the Psalms, King David, a man after God's own heart, a man who slew the giant, a man who had the respect of Israel, a man who people said, Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain his ten thousands. Just a man of God, and David says, I cried unto you because of my affliction. Lord, my my enemies have surrounded me. Lord, I feel like everybody's chasing me down. But Lord, you are my high tower. You are my buckler. You are my shield. You are my strength. You are my salvation. Oh, David was smart enough to know when to just cry out for help. And we ought to be as well. I want you to notice our matter may be precious. Our matter sometimes will find itself in peril. But thirdly, our matter may be passed. And here's the beauty of what God offers us. Look in verse number 3. The Bible says, And when she could not longer hide him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes, and daubed it with slime and with pitch, and put the child therein, and she laid it in the flags by the river's brink. First of all, I want you to notice, she prepared. Look, crying out to God and saying, God, take over it. God, it's all you now. I'm just going to back off and not really do anything about it. That's a very unwise way to handle matters in your life. Even Moses' mother knew setting her child in the river that could not swim and did not have the ability to take care or protect itself, uh, even his mother knew just setting him out there and saying, well, God, here he is, take care of him, that's a dumb idea. In our life, we can't just go to God and pray, Lord, it's all you now, and then back away from the matter completely. We've got to be prepared. We've got to work. I would suggest to you that you search God's word for wisdom. I would suggest to you that in most areas of your life, you can find a direct answer in God's word for what problem you're going through. God's word is just too complete. The Bible uses the term perfect. It's fully mature. It's absolutely perfect. It's well-rounded. You don't have to guess at what God's saying because God has already said. So when you come up on a problem in your life, you study God's book to find out what He thinks of the matter. You be prepared. You begin to make arrangements. You begin to figure out ways that you can go about it. And you pray like it all depends on God and work like it all depends on you. She prepared. Proverbs chapter 6, verse number 6 says this, Go to the ant, thou sluggard, consider her ways, and be wise, which having no guide, overseer or ruler, provideth her meat in the summer, and gathereth her food in the harvest. In other words, the Bible is saying, look at the ant. 
Even the ant is wise enough, even when nobody's towering over it and watching over it, even the ant is wise enough to prepare for times of trouble. And we ought to be as well, as Christians, we ought to be preparing for the matters of our life when we find them in peril. Secondly, she was not only prepared, she parted from it. Look in verse number 3. She daubed it with slime. She uh, made him an ark of bulrushes, daubed it with slime and with pitch, and put the child therein, notice, and she laid it in the flags, or reeds, the Bible, uh, the, the equivalent term there could be reeds. Now, let me make very clear, a better term would not be reeds. I get weary of hearing good preachers say, well, a better word would be here. No. A better word would not be here. I don't have a better word than this one. I'm not going to stand up here and act like I'm smarter than God. And so I'm not going to say, oh, well, a better word. So let me make very clear, not a better word here, and I'm just getting off on a tangent here, but let me be very clear. As a church and as this church's pastor, I believe this book to be perfect, inerrant, infallible. And when I say this book, I mean the one that says the King James Version on the spine of it. So no confusion there. I'm not saying a better term. I'm just saying an equivalent term to help you understand would be reads. Okay, now we're done with that. Let's go on in verse number three. And she laid it in the flags by the river's brink. After this, you do not hear of Moses' mother. She laid it and left it. Here's the hardest part for many of us. Leaving it alone. Leaving it alone. Now, what I said earlier, preparing is different than uh, hovering over, worrying about, concerning every second of your day with a matter. She prepared as if everything depended on her, and then she said, okay, God. Now it's yours. You protect him. You guide him. You lead him. And Lord, I'm just going to trust you with the matter. Most of our inefficiencies as Christians can directly be linked to this, our trust in God. If we could just trust him with every area of our life, we'd be so much better off. If we could just bring matters to his throne room and say, Now God, you said you care about it, so Lord, I'm going to leave it with you. Well, that's what the Bible teaches us in Hebrews chapter 4. The Bible says, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. So we can go to God in prayer, and we can go to his throne room and find grace. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 3, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In other words, take it to God, and then don't sit there and try finding areas on how you can get through it. Take it to God and leave it there. The hardest thing you have to do is when a matter is precious to you and you find yourself in peril, is leaving it at the throne of God and saying, God, you shut doors, you help me in areas. Lord, you give me direction. Lord, you lead me. And as as our preacher said this morning, you search the word of God exhaustively to find an answer. She parted from it. When I was younger, we had these science projects. It was taking a cup and placing a seed in the cup and then putting that cup inside the windowsill. 
How many of you remember something like that in science class? Sometimes they put them under uh, uh, lighting so that they would grow. Now, as a child, what I wanted to do was I wanted to put that seed in there, throw it in the windowsill or throw it under a light and look up and see some sprouting, right? Isn't that what you wanted? Well, I want to see uh, uh, fruit from my labor. But it wasn't until days and sometimes weeks later you actually saw the plant sprout. Here's our problem. We, like little children, hand our matters to God, and then we look over and say, Okay, God, what are you going to do? God, I want to see something happen. Lord, Lord, I want to see your hand providentially work. But sometimes I wonder if God's just not taking his time so that the plant can sprout as if it needs to. Our, our, our plans and our matters and our troubles are always very precious to us. And many times they will find themselves in peril. But if we could just part from them and give them to the Lord, I just believe we'd be a lot better off when it's in God's hands and not in ours. I want you to notice thirdly, and we're done. 20 minutes till the top of the hour. And you say, Brother Andrew, you're pulling a fast one. Verse number 8. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. And the maid went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Take this child away and nurse it for me. And I will give thee thy wages. And the woman took the child and nursed it. Now, did anybody catch what just happened? I think this is one of the most amazing stories in all the Bible. Because God so providentially led Moses and providentially led his mother that not only did God allow the child to be saved from death, and not only did God allow the mother to have a direct part in Moses' life in nursing the child and teaching the child and helping the child, that's not even the best part. Here's the best part, and every mom in this room needs to listen up. She got paid for it. The Bible says Pharaoh's daughter paid her wages to raise her own child. Could you imagine, moms, you're like, that's the first thing you said all night, Brother Andrew. I believe I need to get paid for some of the stuff I'm dealing with my children on. Talk to your husband. I, I agree with you. Look, here's what happens when we take matters out of our hands and give them to God. They turn out so much better than we could have even asked. It, it, look. I think her plan was this, Lord, just save my child. Lord, I'll leave him there, and Lord, I don't know what you're going to do, but save him. God not only did that, God allowed uh, him to grow up alongside of her. And God didn't even remove the relationship, but kept the fellowship there. And I believe it's during this time... Moses' mother was able to teach Moses about the tradition of the Jews and about the history of Israel. And one day it struck Moses so hard that he saw the torture of his own people. He was raised in the palace, but he knew from his mother that he was a Jew. And it was this time when God did so much more than she ever could have dreamed, and she left pleased with how God handled. Look, every time you hand something to God, it'll always end up better when it's in His hands. Always. Sometimes we just think it's... I don't necessarily think it's that we think it's better in our hands. We just have difficulty letting go and trusting. 
But if you'll just read the countless stories in the Bible of how when it's in God's hands, it multiplies. When it's in God's hands, it just gets more beautiful. And every time it's in our hands, we tend to choke it. The other day, my wife and I and my daughter were swimming at the same swimming pool I had nearly drowned in earlier in my sermon. And I did not have the opportunity to go swimming with my wife and daughter the evening before, but it, I, my wife informed me that my daughter was extremely afraid of the water. She did not want to be in the water at all. Uh, she, Amy would take her uh, alongside her and take her out into the water, and Caitlin would cry, and she wanted out of the pool. And I found that very odd because... Like I said, I, I don't like water either, so I, it makes sense. The next evening, however, I went with my wife and my daughter, and I was there. And it was very odd, because the moment I arrived, I took Caitlin out into the center of the pool. Instead of crying, she was smiling. And Amy said, well, it's because you're here. And I said, okay. We kept playing, and... Uh, at one point, I just wanted to test the lengths of my daughter's love and trust of me because it made me feel good. <laughs> I put my daughter on the side of the pool, and we're in the shallow end, and I backed away from her, and I got well below the water's edge, and I said, now jump. The night before, she wouldn't even get into the water, and for some reason, when Dad was there, she goes, <laughs> and jumped to me. Amy about flipped over. She couldn't believe it. And I've thought much about that. The next night, Ben came over. And I need to apologize. I give Ben a hard time. Ben's a good kid. Uh, he's a little like Craig, but he's a good kid. Sometimes I make him sound like a, a, a demon. He's not. He's a good boy. So I'm sorry if you've ever gotten that idea. He's a good kid. But Ben came over the next night. And I had done that with Caitlin. And, and, and Ben wanted to do it. He saw that. He said, Uncle Do, Uncle Do. I want to do it. And so I put him on the edge. And he wanted to do it, but here was the problem. He would go, and then crawl down the side. He would lay on his belly and get back in the pool. I said, no, you got to jump to me, Ben. you got to jump to me. I put him back on the side of the pool. And uh, he goes, uh, and you could see it in his face. He just wanted to jump so bad. But he would go, no, and he would do it again. You know, I thought about that a long time. The only reason that I can think that Caitlin was so trusting and Ben was not, is because I'm not Ben's dad. It's because Caitlin trusts me entirely. She trusts me totally, and which probably is a terrible idea in the long run, especially as you get to the youth department. But she loves me, and she knows I love her, and she trusts me. Now I don't get to spend near as much time with Ben. And so even though I'm Ben's uncle, and even though I'm plenty strong enough to catch Ben, and even though I have the ability to take care of Ben, the difference is this. My relationship with Caitlin is much more established than it is with Ben. Look, I'm done. Listen to me now. If you 
are not in an intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll never have the trust to hand your problems over to Him. You'll never be able to give them to Him and watch Him make masterpieces out of muck. You'll never be able to trust Him with them because you don't know His character. You don't know His personality. You don't know how that everything God touches turns to gold. You just don't know. And like Ben, you'll be standing on the side of your problems and your issues waiting to dive in and you'll just say, I just can't give them to you, God. But if you're working on a relationship, if you're personally connected to God of the universe and you know that everything He has for you is nothing but good, if you know that, you can look at Him and say, Father, I trust you entirely. And when the matters of my life are out of my hands and in yours, I know things will always turn out 